of our Lord Jesus Christ, from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one, crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Make every clear path straight. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In our last broadcast, we looked at the crucialness of sanctification to the believer. We spoke about one, that sanctification is crucial because it is the route or the route to eternal salvation. In other words, without sanctification, a man's salvation here on earth cannot take him to eternity. The salvation that we have here is a token and it must be worked through sanctification unto eternal salvation. Secondly, we noted that without sanctification, backsliding is going to be inevitable because the mind has not been renewed to follow the principles of God, uh, the ways of God. And so what is going to happen is that that believer is inevitably going to backslide because he's going to be living according to himself rather than according to the word of God. Thirdly, we noted that sanctification is how fruit is born in the believer. It is the result. The fruit is the result of sanctification so that only a sanctified believer can truly bear fruit. You don't practice fruit bearing. Fruit bearing comes as a result of the working of the Holy Spirit within the life of the believer. Now, we also said that without sanctification, our service to God is going to be meaningless, is going to be dead, and is going to be unacceptable to God. And so if a person is truly going to serve God, he must bring himself to the place where he is fully prepared to give all in service to God, acceptable service that is, and that is through the agency of sanctification. And finally, we noted that the, that for us to live by the word of God is only possible when we are sanctified because sanctification is, the, is, is, is what brings us to obedience to the word of God. Without sanctification, we will not be able to obey God. And if we are unable to obey God, then it means that we cannot live by the word of God because to live by the word of God means to obey God. We concluded in our last broadcast that sanctification is God's means of bringing the new believer to live as he ought to. Without sanctification, we cannot live as God wants us to live. It is through sanctification that we are made saints. It is through sanctification that we live like saints. It is through sanctification, at least, that we are able to serve God acceptably. Now, with this background, I want to press on today, in today's broadcast, by taking us further beyond just sanctification because what many people have done, there are those who, I mean, many people believe that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved and that is true. And then they just sit down there and unfortunately, most of these people backslide. In fact, all of them backslide because they just sat in one place. But we must move to the next level, which is the level of, the area of sanctification. Now, when a person has become sanctified, then he has moved to a higher level than the level of salvation. I'm not talking of higher level as in promotion or anything. No, we're talking of relationship with God. We're talking of moving in the direction that God wants him to move. Now, we will revisit Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, where we started this whole concept of sanctification, moving from salvation to sanctification, and we mentioned separation, and then we mentioned service. So we go back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, 
where the Bible says that the Lord had said to Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, away from thy kindred and thy father's house, unto a land that I will show you. Abraham was told to get out of his country. And we said that is salvation, a coming away from the world. Then he said, get away from your kindred, from your kind. We said that to be, we, 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 we said that to equate to certification, getting away from the culture, the culture that we are used to, the people that we are used to, the ways and mannerisms by which we have been living our lives before now. And then we now talked about getting away from your father's house, which is the closest tie. And that is a separation. This is basically what is the separation from family ties, from those things that will bind you. That, that, because that's the closest tie that we have on earth, the tie of the family. And we're going to see very soon in Luke chapter 14, one of the things that the Lord Jesus Christ mentioned about our relationship with family in respect with regards to him. And it, it, this is where we want to focus on, this area of separation. And then, of course, after that is to the land that I will show you, the place of service. So, basically, sanctification brings us from salvation and now leads us onto separation so that we will be able to serve God acceptably. It is true that we can serve God when we are sanctified. But when we talk of dedicated, devoted, and single-minded service to God, we come to the area of separation, or what we will call consecration. And we shall be defining this later as we go on. In Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14, from verse 25, from verse 25, um, the Bible says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Let's pause here. This was a statement. Multitudes were following him. People were thronging him. Just like today, we have multitudes thronging our churches, going into church buildings for whatever reason. And you would have expected that the Lord Jesus Christ would have been excited that these people were thronging. But no, he turned, looked at them, and told them pointedly that until you have a love for him that would suggest a hatred for your closest ties, father, mother, wife, children, indeed your own life also. He says you cannot be his disciple. Now, a disciple is the basic. You are supposed to be a disciple. And here he's, he's, he's averting, he's making a statement, a pointer statement, that when it comes to relationship with him, it would be as though you hate your parents, as though you hate your spouse, as though you hate your children, indeed, as though you hate yourself. That, that is the only person, that's the only time you can say, and then he goes on. In verse 27 to say, And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What does it mean to bear your cross now? You have to understand that in Roman times, whenever you saw a man carrying a cross, 
you were looking at a man going to his own execution because the Roman system was that you would carry your cross to the place where they would now execute you. And that was exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ went through. He had to carry his cross. In fact, the Bible records that at the point in time, he was so weak that they had to bring um, someone to help him to carry that cross to the, to, to the place where he was to be sacrificed, where, where he was rather to be crucified. Now, what the Bible is, what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying here is unless you are ready to die, Unless you have gotten yourself to the place where you are ready to die. You are ready and willing to die for the cause of the gospel. You cannot be his disciple. Now, what is, what is happening here is he is bringing us to a deeper level of relationship and understanding of the things of God. He is saying to us that this happy, good, go-lucky fellow uh, religion or Christianity that we are practicing is not of him. This is the religion. This is what he is talking about. A life that is devoted to him. A life that is committed to his cause. In verse 28, he said, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. The, our walk with God is not just a casual walk. It's a walk that requires commitment. And the Lord is saying, before you can even decide to say, I want to follow Jesus, you need to sit down first and count the cost. There are too many people rushing into Christianity without taking a thought for what is to be involved. Sadly, there are many preachers of the gospel today who think that the message of, the, of, of, of Christ is just miracle signs and wonders. The message of Christ is beyond miracle signs and wonders. That is just a way of saying there, there, there's nothing that God cannot do. But beyond that is the life that God has called us to live. A life of separation. So, where we're talking of this deeper walk with God, we are talking of separation. We are talking of giving up all for the Lord only. Giving up all. You give up everything so that you can truly serve God. We are talking of here a sacrificial and voluntary life. It's not something that anybody can force you to. It's something that you make up your mind that this is what I want to do. In Matthew chapter 19, the Lord Jesus Christ was challenged concerning the issue of um, divorce and remarriage. In answering that question, he made it clear, first and foremost, that divorce was never the intention of God. It was never an intention of God. Divorce was something that came about because God did not want men to maltreat their wives. Now, in the New Testament time, Clearly, it is obvious that there is no there is no room for divorce. It's one man, one wife. And if there ever is anything like a divorce, the Bible makes it clear that neither the man nor the woman can remarry. But, and so because of all of that, the disciples now of the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 10 said, if this is the case of marriage between a man and a wife, then it is better not to get married. And the Lord now says to them, let me read um, from verse 11. It says, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. 
It says, for there are eunuchs who were born, who, who were born thus from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. So here he's talking of that level of commitment that a man makes and comes to the place where he is more or less a eunuch, cut off from the pleasures of this world, from the pleasures of society, from the enjoyment that others derive. Does it mean that he's to become a monk in a solitary place? No, he's to be there, but he is dead to those things. That's what the Bible, that's what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying here, that there are people who have made up their minds that I am going to serve God sacrificially. It is a voluntary thing. You cannot compel anybody not to marry. That's what he's saying there. It is something that people have made up their minds that I will not marry because I want to serve God. But I'm going to give counsel here that it is not a decision to take lightly. You don't sit down, you know, get excited in the flesh and say, I'm not going to get married. It must be something that you have made up your mind on with God. You have prayed about it and you are ready that whether come, come, come rain comes, I'm going to stay celibate. So, but we're not talking of celibacy here. We're just using that to discuss the matter of this separation, this consecration. And I used the matter of celibacy because it is one of the closest things to the heart of man. Men cannot do without um, intercourse with um, the opposite sex. I'm talking of talking of something that is clean here now and I'm talking of it in the context of marriage and so God is saying that if you want to dedicate yourself to me in that in that respect then you would separate yourself in terms of marriage but in the case of Abraham we saw that he went with his wife Sarah God was not expecting him to abandon Sarah because of that Sarah was the closest person to him he had to remain that way however the Lord Jesus Christ mentions the fact that unless your, your love for him is such that when they look at your love for your wife, it will seem like you hate her. Then you are not yet ready for that relationship. In Luke chapter 9, let's take it a little bit, uh, let, let, let's expand the frontier a little bit more and look at it again from another perspective. Luke chapter 9 from verse 57. It says, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In verse 59, Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at home. But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is saying here that when we talk of consecration or separation, there is a higher level of commitment that is required. In the first instance, a guy walks up to him, the, the, I think in Matthew, it is, we, we, we are told that this, this fellow was um, a, a Pharisee or a scribe or so, someone who had been used to certain lages. And he said, I will follow you wherever. 
And the Lord Jesus told him, he said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but I, the son of man, I, the son of God, I don't have a place where to lay my head. I'm not, I don't have a guarantee of accommodation. Today we have people who come to church to cry for accommodation. And they put a guilt trip on pastors as though you have to provide me with accommodation. Here, what the Lord Jesus said, your commitment to me, if it is tied to accommodation, is no commitment. He says, foxes, those sly things that, wait, that just come out at night and ravage and rummage the place, they have holes that they go to at the end of the day. Birds that you see just flying as if there's no concern in, in them, they have nests that they are going to lie down. But the Son of Man does not have a place to live. So he's saying to him, if you are not ready to give up your fine accommodation, your fine bed from time to time, if, then you cannot follow me. Because there are times when I don't even know where I'm going to lay my head. It's not about, oh, you are guaranteed of, of food. There are some of these messages that, we, that has been preached that does not tell the truth to people. The Lord Jesus Christ did not guarantee. He said, I'm not going to guarantee your accommodation. So I'm saying to you today that if you say you want to get into this level of this level of commitment to God, he's not guaranteeing you accommodation. He's not going to guarantee you so many things. What is going to guarantee you, like he said, is having raiment and food, let us there bear with be content. He will take care of your daily needs. But those extra things that you're looking for, He's not, he's not telling you that I'm, you, could, you could get it. But he's saying to you, unless you get to this level, you can't follow me. The second man in verse uh, 59, actually, uh, the, the second fellow, the Lord is the one who said to him, you come and follow me. And then the man says, but let me first go and bury my father. I have, I have a commitment to bury my father. He said, let the dead bury the dead. You go and preach the kingdom. Leave those, this is, this is what we're talking when it says, Get thee away from family ties. Away from these family ties. The ties to accommodation. The ties to, uh, I must bury. And we live, especially in those of us who are from Africa, we are so committed to burial that we can give up anything to make sure that we have a burial going. We can spend any amount to make sure that we have a burial going. In fact, especially amongst the Christian community in Africa, we, we believe that we must spend so much to bury our dead. To the point that we don't mind going broke after such a burial. And the Lord says, that is not for me. If you say you are coming to serve me, let the dead bury the dead. Does it mean you should abandon your corpses? No. Do what is necessary and bury them. Just bury the fellow. What is all the razzmatazz on burial? Spending so much money, so much energy when there's a gospel to preach. And finally... The last man in verse 61 comes and says, Lord, I will follow you. But first, first, let me go home and tell them that I am leaving. Let me say farewell to them. You recall that Elisha did something like that. So maybe he was trying to go on to that. And the Lord said to him, no one, having put his hand on the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Note, the hand is on the plow. The problem is he looked back. What he says is that in mowing a lawn with your hand, unless it's a lawnmower, for example, and you want to mow on a straight line, you must be focused, you must be single-minded, you must be concentrated. If anything should divert your attention, you will have you could have a slight bend. So we are speaking here of a level of commitment to the work of God 
to the service of God that requires your undivided attention. When we talk of full-time ministry, this is it. Where you are, you are not mixing business with any other thing. Where a church, the focus of a church is for souls, is not to set up schools that will make money and then the pastor begins to rack his head on, oh, how do we fund the church? How do we fund the school? If people in the church want to fund the school, fine. But for that church, that ministry, the focus must be on what God has called it to do. Let those who want to do social services, no problem, let them do it. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. In 1 Kings chapter 19, when Elijah met with God in that cave, the Lord told him in verse 18 that he has 7,000 men who, were, who had not yet bent the knee to Baal, nor kissed him. And as though he were saying to him, I will show you one of these 7,000. He said to him that you should go and um, make Elisha, uh, ordain Elisha as it were, consecrate Elisha as his servant to take his place eventually. And so in verse 19, the Bible says that Elijah departed. And when he saw Elisha, he threw his uh, garment on Elisha. And Elisha ran after him and said to him, Sir, please let me return home. Uh, let me quickly, you know, go and um, tell my parents that I am leaving. And then I'll come and follow you. Elijah said, what have I done to you? I just threw a mantle. What is your own, what is my business with that? But you see, this was one of the 7,000 who was committed to God. Perhaps it was possible that he had been waiting on the Lord and was expecting to hear from God on something. And here he now finds this man dropping a mantle upon him and realizing, sensing that this is what God has been prodding me about. Remember, he's one of the 7,000. Now, what did Elisha do when he went home? Because we just read that somebody said, let me go home and greet my and tell my parents I'm going. And the Lord said, don't, more or less. Why was Elisha permitted to go home? We will see. The reason here is that in Elisha's case, he was already committed. There are some of us who are not committed. Once we return home, we are not going to go back. We will just stay back at home. And somebody else will come and confuse, confuse, well, confuse us actually. And we will be convinced by the confusion that God was not saying that to you. It was in a moment of excitement. So he says to Ross, who want to return, he said, go continue your journey. Leave the house alone. But in this particular case, when Elisha went back, what he did was, don't forget, don't forget that Elisha was already a, like a businessman. The Bible says that he, was, he had about 12 oxen, uh, 12 yokes of oxen, that is 24 oxen in, in pairs of uh, two, two, and that is 20, uh, 12 uh, oxen, 12 yokes of oxen that were tilling the ground, doing whatever business uh, transactions they were doing. And he himself, man the twelfth, when this mantle was placed upon him, what did he do? He took the two yoke, the, 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 the two oxen, the, the uh, what do you call them now? The yoke, the wooden yoke, made fire, killed the oxen, made the sacrifice, uh, 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 killed them, prepared them, and shared to everybody. And he departed. In, in other words, what did Elisha do? Elisha killed his business. Someone said once that Elisha burnt every bridge that could make him go back. This is consecration. This is what separation is about. He separated himself from business and cut off every single tie from it. Anything that would make him want to go back. 
He killed you. He killed the business so that he will never have cause to go back. This is a challenge today. It's a challenge for those, for us, modern believers. Because at the slightest, we, we run back to picking up some skills that we have. There's nothing wrong with it, actually. Provided, you see, the issue is this. Provided it does not make us stray away from doing the work of God. The question then is, how does it not make us stray from doing the course of the work of God? How do you put one eye on business and one eye on the kingdom and you will not stray? It's not possible. The Bible says that you cannot serve two masters. There is no way you will be able to fully satisfy every one of them. So you must choose and you must go. In, in, in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1 to 15, we, 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 you, if you read it, we're not going to read it. When you read it, you will see the resoluteness of Elijah. The Bible says that when it was time for God to take Elijah up, Elijah knew about it, but Elijah did not tell anybody. But I'm sure somehow Elijah knew about it because when the sons of prophets were saying to him that, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master today? He said, be quiet, I know, just keep quiet. And every attempt by Elijah to shake Elisha off, Elisha refused. He said, I'm going to follow you. If you go back to 1 Kings chapter 19, when Elijah was running away from uh, Jezebel, he told his servant to stay in a particular place. Whilst he goes to meet with God, that he will come back. That fellow stayed there. When Elisha returned from that meeting with God, you know, he, Elijah returned from that meeting with God. He never went back to pick that servant. That was how Elisha followed him. And Elisha remained with Elijah. There are many of us who are like that first servant of Elijah. We are willing to obey the master. There's nothing wrong with that. However, we are not committed to saying, Sir, as you are going, let me follow you. Don't worry. I can stay in it. It doesn't matter how bad. I'll let me stay there. The Bible tells us about Joshua and Moses. That Joshua would follow Moses. And that when Moses got, had finished discussing with, with God and had left the tabernacle to go back to his own tent, Joshua would remain at that tabernacle. Now, that is a level of commitment that God is looking for. And God is watching us. God is watching those who are going to be resolute when it comes to serving him. Those who would say, my hand is on the plow, I cannot look back. This is what consecration is about. It is about the man who has made up his mind that he is going to follow God no matter what. The man who has made up his mind that this temple, that this, this housing project we are building, which is the house of God, we are going to build it no matter what, no distraction, nothing. Like Nehemiah said, when the, the, the Sambalats and the Tobiases came and told him, come down. He said, go and tell him. Go and tell them. I have a great work that I'm doing. I cannot come down. He cannot be distracted. He cannot be distracted by politics. He cannot be distracted by uh, uh, government ordinances. He cannot be distracted by business. He cannot be distracted by so many other things. His focus is on the work of God. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying. And this is what that third leg that we read in Genesis chapter 12 verse 1 is talking about get away from your family. He's talking about removing ourselves from those close ties so that we can now develop the closest tie with God. Your close tie to your father, your close tie to your mother, your close tie to your, to your wife, to your children, indeed to yourself, to your business, to your, to your vision, to your ambition. Cut those ties and come and be closest to God. That is what this separation is about. In 2 Chronicles 
Second Chronicles chapter 25, verse 1 and 2. The Bible talks about Amaziah. It says, reading from verse 1, it says, Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal you see where the problem is? He was doing what was right, but his heart was not loyal, was not committed, was not resolved towards God. Like many of us, we are doing what is right. We are serving God. We are happy to serve God, but it is not with a loyal heart. We still have one leg in the world. And consecration is that portion, that thing that says to us, get that second leg back onto the side of God. Be fully committed to God, be fully resolved to God. In verse 14 of 2 Chronicles 25, the Bible tells us about Amaziah's victory over Edom. And in, in, in 14, it says, Now it was so, after Amaziah came from the slaughter of the Edomites, that he brought the gods of the people of Seir, or the, of Edom, set them up to be his gods, and bowed down before them and burned incense to them. How do you conquer a people whose God could not help them? And then you take their God and you begin to serve their God. That is why the Bible says, even though he served God in conquering lands, in expanding the territory of Judah, and so on and so forth, yet he bowed to the God of those same people. How do we get to the place where we, have, we are supposedly have overcome so many things only to return to the world and bow to the world? And make the world the basis on which we do our things. How is it that a man has been called out of the world. And yet he goes back and is doing ministry the way of the world. He's advertising the way of the world. He's doing the things the way the world would do those things. We have become like Amaziah. Serving God but not with a perfect heart. Not with a loyal heart. In 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 7. When Samuel was going to choose uh, a king. When God told him to go and pick a king. From amongst the sons of Jesse. And he looked at Eliab. He said, wow, this definitely must be the, the church of God. And God told him, no, 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 no. I've rejected this one. God does not look on, on, on things the way men look at. Men look at things in the physical. But God looks at the heart. So I have looked at the heart of this fellow. He's not going to serve me. He's not going to do my will. So in Acts chapter 13 verse 22, God said concerning David. I have found David, the son of Jesse. He found him. He searched him out. He searched him out. His, his eyes ran to and fro the whole earth. And he found David, the son of Jesse. He said, a man after my own heart. A man who made the pursuit of God his purpose. The pursuit of God was his vision. The pursuit of God was all that he wanted. You know one time David said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than be found in the congregation of the dead. He said, all I want to do is that I will be in your temple to behold your face forever. He said, as the deer pants after the water brooks, so my soul longs for you, O Lord, in a dry land, seeking after you, hungering for you. And then God said, that's the clincher. Not just a man after my own heart, but one who will do all, not some, all my will. 
So when you read the book of the Kings, as in 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, you will find that the reference for any king became David. David became the reference. So you will hear, oh, this king served the Lord, but not as David. Or this king served the Lord as David. Today, our David is the Lord Jesus Christ. One whose heart is fully sold unto the Father. One who came to do the will of his Father. And the Lord is saying that having found Christ to be that one, any other person, therefore, must come under that standard. And so the only way we can attain to that standard is to come under the Lord Jesus Christ. It is this aspect of coming under the Lord Jesus Christ and holding on to him that brings about a desire, a willingness in us to be separated from the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 14, sorry, chapter 6 from verse 14. This is God speaking to us. He says, do not, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. God is asking us to be separated from the world, separated from culture, separated from family, so that we can serve him acceptably. This act of separation, of sacrifice, of single-mindedness to, to God and to his cause is what results from consecration. Consecration is therefore that process of moving away, moving further, moving beyond sanctification and getting ourselves to the place where the closest tie to us, uh, uh, speaking from the standpoint of the earth, is now eliminated and Christ becomes our entire focus. Paul wrote and said, for me to live is Christ, to die is Christ. Whether I live or whether I die, it is Christ. Whether I feed or I don't feed, it is Christ. The man of God said to me once, he said, when you come to serve God and you trust God by faith, if something happens, glory be to God. If nothing happens, glory be to God. We must get ourselves to that place. Many people are not consecrated and they are serving God. And so when the challenges of life come, they, they shift elsewhere and are diverted completely. Oh, some people have mentioned that Paul had his tent making. Yes, I agree with you. Paul did a tent making. But the Bible records that the moment support came from other places, he left that thing and continued to, to, to focus on the work of God. The essence of the support is to take care of certain needs, but it cannot become the major thing. We cannot set up a company to the point that the company overrides, and then we cannot do the work of God again. 
we now depend on that company to feed us rather than on God to feed us. God would arrange a temporary contract so that you can take care of certain immediate needs. But the focus must always be the work of God. We cannot fold the ministry and chase after business or contracts because then we have gone beyond feeding and we are now looking for something else. Consecration is therefore a personal decision to go beyond sanctification. You must decide. You must sit down. Don't rush it. Sit down. Count the cost. Are you ready to go through this thing? It will require sacrifice. It will require devotion, dedication to God. It will require virtually everything. In Numbers chapter 6, Numbers chapter 6, the Bible gives us an example of what that consecration is. Number 6 from verse 1. I'm just going to read a few portions. I would advise you to read it up to verse 21. Just want to read a few portions so that we can, we can see the similarities and essentially what is required of the New Testament believer when it comes to consecration. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When either a man or woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice nor eat fruit, fresh grapes or raisins. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from seed to skin, that is of the grape. All the days of the vows of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. Then he shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. All the days he, shall, he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. He shall not make himself unclean even for his father or his mother, for his brother or his sister when they die. Because his separation to God is on his head. As the days of his separation, he shall be holy, all the days of separation rather, he shall be holy to the Lord. And if anyone dies very suddenly beside him and he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day, he shall shave it. Then on the eighth day, he shall bring two turtle doves and two young pigeons to the priest to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall offer one of a, one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering and make atonement for him because he sinned in regard to the corpse and he shall sanctify his head that same day. He shall consecrate to the Lord the days of his separation and bring a male lamb in his first year as a trespass offering. But the former days shall be lost because his separation was defiled. And let me just point this out here. He's saying, if for any reason that consecration was broken because of a dead man, somebody who died suddenly, not that he knew that this fellow was going to die, but suddenly the man died while he was there. All the days of his consecration, after all this offering, is to be cancelled out. He is to start it afresh. This is how God takes this issue of consecration very seriously. So those of us who claim to be consecrated, but we are mixing it, with business and ministry, it is okay. But the day you say you are consecrated, all those days is gone. 
you, you are not consecrated whilst you are doing two things. Consecration requires that you are solely committed to God. In verse 13, it says, Now this is the law of the Nazarites. When the days of separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and he shall present his offering to the Lord, one male lamb in his first year without blemish as a burnt offering, one ewe lamb in his first year without blemish as a sin offering, and ram without blemish as a peace offering, and so on and so forth. It's when it ends. For the believer, our consecration is similar yet different. Number one, our consecration is a separation unto God. Not unto a church, not unto a cause, but unto God. God can give us the cause. God can establish the church. God can establish the ministry. But our consecration is a separation to God. Secondly, it is a separation from worldly pleasures. He said, no wine, no alcohol, nothing to do with anything of the vine. Whether the fruit or the seed or the tree or the leaves, nothing of the vine. Here we will refer that to meaning world, no worldly pleasures whatsoever. All this I want, let's, let, let, church, let church be fun, let church be fun. No, when you are consecrated, you are separated from worldly pleasures. The Bible talks about the widow who is under 65, that after a while she will get into pleasures and just as, as though she were dead from, from the things of God because of the pleasure that she gets into. So, so don't count her as a widow because she can remarry and get back into the ministry. Above 65, yes, count them as a widow, particularly when they have done certain things. I think you find that in um, 1 Timothy chapter, I think chapter 5 or so, where, where, where the law is made concerning widowhood. Consecration is a separation to divine power and grace. He talked about the hair, not to be, not to be caught, to keep it there. Something referred to it as the symbol of the power of God in his life. So we are separated to divine power and grace. In that, in, 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 through consecration, everything about us is of God. The power that is at work in us is God. It, there's no man involved. It's not business that is sustaining us. It's not anything else that's made. It is God. It is not what people bring in ministry as gift that sustains us. It is God. We come to that realization. And so our consecration is not to God. Our separation is not to God. We speak the word of God. Not the words that men who have brought gifts to us want to hear. But the word that God wants, wants them to hear. We can say like Peter said to Simon the sorcerer, your money perish with you. Why? Because our consecration is unto God. Our consecration is to the divine power and the grace of God. Our consecration is away from worldly pleasures. Whether we have a private jet or not is irrelevant. It is not something we make noise about. It's not something we give testimony about. Especially when it is for the work of God. Let me say this. That many of the things that we give testimony about, oh I got this, oh I got that. Everything you have on the earth here is a resource that God gives you to do his work. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm saying. If you worked in a company, and maybe because you're a manager, because of the kind of job you're doing, maybe you're a salesperson, they give you a vehicle. That vehicle does not belong to you. That vehicle belongs to the company. But you have the vehicle. The vehicle can be parked in your compound, and you use it to do business. And when you're off business season, you can use that same um, vehicle to do some other things, your personal things. But it cannot be in conflict with your business transactions. And as a result of that, we've discovered that when you are going to leave that company to another company, what happens? They will take their vehicle back. 
So it is. With all this, I want car. I want house. And I have a private jet. I have this. They, if God is the one that provided it, they are resources for you to be able to do the work of God. Then he talks about being separated from the dead. Whether it's your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, be separated from the dead. We are separated. Consecration is a separation from dead works. Dead works are things that are not initiated by God. They are things that do not have the life of God. They are things that do not have the approval of God that we are doing. It could even be a church. It could be setting up a church. It could be setting up a ministry. It it, it could be going to a place to set up something that is dead works. It doesn't count. So God is saying, consecration requires separation from dead works. When you come to that place of consecration, you look at all that you are doing and you say, I must stop this thing because God has not spoken to me about it. In New Testament consecration, there is no time limit unlike in the Old Testament where you did it voluntarily and you had it. There was a time limit. In New Testament consecration, there is no time limit. But it is voluntary. Nobody can compare you. You have to first of all count the cost. You must count the cost. Whether it is something you can do. Whether it is something you are willing to do. Haven't you must sit down. When it comes to this consecration, you probably need to take some days off to fast and wait on the Lord and pray. Your prayer is not to, to say, I'm not doing it. Your prayer is to pray those to pray the flesh completely out of your system. To pray the worldly lifestyle completely out of your To win yourself away from the world and win yourself unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Consecration, beloved, is your total commitment, your dedication and devotion to God and his cause or his work. In Isaiah 29 verse 13, Isaiah chapter 29 verse 13. Isaiah 29, verse 13. Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandments of men. Therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among these people, a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. Consecration is not lip service. It's heart service. It comes from the heart. You cannot say you are worshipping God with your lips, with your mouth, but your heart is not in it. Consecration would require you to to serve God from the heart. It is not, in quotes, lip service. It's not just coming to talk about it. We can sing in church. We can say all the right things in church. Yet our heart is not there. The Bible calls us in fact, Lord Jesus Christ calls such people hypocrites. You find that the same thing is repeated in Matthew chapter 15. He says, these are hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah say that these people, they worship me with their lips, but their heart is not there. They, they, they teach for the ordinance of God, the commandments of men. In Acts chapter 8, we mentioned that already, uh, verse 19 to 21, when Simon the sorcerer was asking for power, he said, give me this power that whosoever I will lay my hands upon, he too will be able to speak those in, in tongues and do those things that I'm seeing you do. And Peter said to him, your money perish with you. We offer them money so that this power can come. Let, let me read it. Uh, Acts chapter 8 from verse 9 says, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may, may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased 
with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Consecration removes from us that self-serving nature that is in man. Where even though I'm building church, it is for myself. Many, many people are building empires. The churches are in their names. The schools that the church has started is in their names. And they use it and say, we have money, we are making money. The books they write is for them. It's, it's, it goes into an account for themselves, and they say it is it, it, it is God they are serving. God is saying no. You can't you can't be self-serving and say that you are consecrated to serve God. No. Consecration is that last bus stop before you enter true divine service. So if you have not been consecrated, you cannot truly serve God. You cannot serve God as God would. Later we will see that in consecration, God gives you an assignment. That assignment. Results in your being results from your being consecrated to do that work. In James chapter one verse eight and James chapter four verse eight, the Bible tells us that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So when we talk of consecration, we're we're talking of somebody who is not serving two gods. We're talking of somebody whose focus is on Almighty God. In Matthew chapter six verse twenty-four, the Bible says, "You cannot serve God and serve Mammon. You will either be loyal to one." And, and be disloyal to the other. Or you'll be loyal, loyal to this other one and be disloyal to the other one. In Luke chapter 16, the same thing. It, it talks about faithfulness. Luke 16 from 10 to 13. It says, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful to the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you from who will commit to your trust, rather, the true riches. And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and man. You can't serve the two. You must make a choice. The core thing here is faithfulness. Can God find in us that faithfulness? Can God find in us faithful men? Can God find faithful men today to whom he can commit the work? Paul was writing in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I think, is verse, is verse 2. To Timothy said, The things that you have heard of me, that I have taught, and you have heard of me teach, amongst many witnesses. He said, Commit thou to faithful men who will also be able to teach others. This is the challenge in the church today. We don't have faithful men who, to whom the word of God can be committed and who will be so focused on the word of God faithfully and pass that same thing on. We have received the pattern of the gospel from generations gone by. Now we are in our own generation and we have to pass on the pattern. And the problem is, or the question really is, what pattern are we passing on? Is there really a pattern that we have to pass on? Or are we just doing whatever we like and laying claim to it and saying that we are passing on a, a, a pattern? How committed are we? How faithful are we? How trustworthy are we? The Bible says, I think it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, it says, it is expected in stewards that a man be found faithful. The Bible says concerning Moses, that Moses was faithful in all the house of God. Consecration is that process where we are prepared unto faithfulness. Consecration is the preparation that makes a man to go above and beyond the call of duty in the service of God. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 11, verse 14, 13 and 14 or so, Paul said, Something to the effect that I have not yet attained 
to the level that I really want to attain to. But I press on towards the mark of the upward call of God, the call of God to eternity. I press on, I press on. And I'm saying of myself, I have not yet attained, but I keep pressing. Oh, we falter. God understands that we will falter, but he expects us to leave those falterings behind and press on towards the mark. I'm challenging you today. Leave your falterings behind. Make your confessions known unto you. Repent of those sins that you have committed. Come back to God. Be dedicated. Be devoted. Be single-minded. Be ready to make the sacrifice that is required in the service of God. Don't allow people to, to mislead you into thinking that just because you go to church every Sunday, you are okay before God. No. You have been saved. Glory be to God. You are going through sanctification. Fantastic. It is now time to step out and take the next step, which is consecration. And can I say this to you? That consecration is not just for people who are pastors. Do you know that you can be working in a particular business and you are consecrated to serve God in that business? You can be a gatekeeper, a gate man, and God will say to you, I want you to stay in that gate man's job. And you are because you are consecrated to God, you will stay there. People can look at you as a fool. People can think that you have no ambition. But it is God. Remember, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Consecration is about that man that will do all the will of God, even when people are laughing at him. God requires that we serve him in whatever estate we find ourselves. You will recall that it was a maid that told Naaman about how he could be delivered from leprosy. A maid who was captured. You don't know why you are where you are. This message that says that everybody must be CEO, everybody must become great. Even the people who are little in one corner, God can still use them. The question really is, have you made yourself available to God to use you? Consecration is that devotion and separation from all these things that people are saying. That when you come and say to God, Lord, I am for you all the way. And I'm praying that do more than just that. For the next, before we now have our next uh, meeting, Pray that you will devote yourself to God. Seek his face. Pray fervently to him and ask him to come and bring you to that place of consecration in his service so that he can use you to do the work that he has already assigned that you will do while you are here on the earth so that you will not be dissuaded, turned left and right by so many opinions and so many things. And I'm praying that until that time, we will meet again to discuss more on this matter of consecration. The Almighty God will bring us to that place of divine service through personal sacrifice and consecration. God bless you.